Hello, and welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. If you've listened to this podcast before, you might be wondering what happened to Pastor Doug's voice. Well, wonder no more. I'm not him. Doug asked if I would serve as a guest this week, and I was very honored to do so. My name is Chris, and I'm the pastor of the Living Stones Prison Congregation, which gathers behind the walls of the Washington Correction Center in Shelton, Washington. Living Stones is a unique worshiping body. We really are a prison congregation, with the bulk of our worshipers currently incarcerated at WCC and a group of regular volunteers and visitors from the outside joining us each week. You can learn more about Living Stones and what we do by checking out our website at livingstonesprisoncongregation.com. See the link on the page. And if you go to the Vimeo link, you can also view some video footage shot during one of our pre-pandemic worship services. As a guest, the odds are good I'll handle things a little bit differently than Doug does. But ideally, it will prove just as worthwhile as what you're used to. We'll be looking at two sections from Scripture together. Paul's letter to the Galatians, specifically the beginning of chapter 3, and Jesus' thoughts in Matthew 22 on the two greatest commandments. My guess is that my own context as a pastor, ministering in a prison, is something that most of you are unfamiliar with. With that in mind, I thought it would be appropriate to spend our time exploring Scripture through the lens of prison ministry, which, I'm willing to bet, you'll come to discover is a lot more relevant to your own context than you might think. But first, let's start with prayer. Gracious, good, and loving God, we come to you today seeking wisdom, understanding, and wholeness. Speak to us through your Holy Scripture and teach us to better understand how to more fully live the life of grace and peace to which you have called us. Guide us this day and always. Amen. The New Testament book we know as Galatians was written to the early Christian communities of Galatia, a region of modern-day Turkey. Despite his earlier success in teaching them about the ways of Christ and the promise of God's grace, in this book we find Paul at his wit's end at their current path. Let's take a look at Galatians 3, 1-14. Paul writes, You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing... Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the one who is righteous will live by faith. But the law does not rest on faith. On the contrary, Whoever does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is for it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. If there's one thing you can count on with Paul, it's that he speaks his mind. I can honestly say that in over a decade of ministry, I have never opened a sermon or a council meeting with, you idiots, what are you doing? Now, have I thought it? Well, that's another podcast for another day. But Paul is fed up, and he's not here to pull punches. The Galatians have lost sight of the promise of the gospel, and he's not about to let them get away with it. The resurrection is, at most, a couple decades past, not long at all given how slowly the early movement could have spread. And yet, already those early churches have lurched toward a theology of works instead of holding to a theology of grace. Honestly, it depends on my mood whether I find comfort or despair in that. Comfort in knowing that we're not so different from our ancestors. And despair in knowing that we're not so different from our ancestors. There is something inherently human about our need, and I do think need is the right word. We need to do it on some primal level. There is something inherently human about our need to make our relationship with God more about ourselves and less about God. Or maybe it's less need and more obsession. Either way, there's something perversely comforting in telling ourselves that our actions, our good deeds, or our lack thereof are the foundation for it all. Because that's the implication of making it all about our works, making it all about how well we hold to the law, instead of making it about the grace of God known in Christ and how we respond to that gift of God's grace. Personally, I think it has to do with control. If we can suss out the magic formula for pleasing God by ticking off a checklist, then the ball's in our court. That it's our own opportunity or our own fault. Either way, we get to be the one in charge. We get to be the one with agency. We get to have control. And if there's anything human beings love to pretend, it's that we're in control when we're not. There's another part to it beyond the need for control. It's the need for fairness. Fairness as we understand and define it. Fairness, where good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Ignoring the reality that the vast majority, if not entirety, of humanity isn't good or bad, just flawed and human. Fairness. Fairness, where the story of a person's life reflects the character of their moral core. Homelessness. Addiction. Poverty, abuse, unemployment. All these things and many more become markers of a person's failings instead of what they truly are, markers of a society's failings. Fairness. And once we've determined what that false fairness looks like, once we've turned justice into just us, then we are well on the way to our next favorite human hobby, othering our neighbor. Now you know what I'm talking about, even if you've never put it that way before. We other 
our neighbor when we stop valuing them as fully human, when we stop viewing them as legitimate. We describe our neighbor using demographic bullet points, blacks, Hispanics, gays, not individuals with stories as real as our own, no fears or faith or families of their own, faceless groups, potential threats, obstacles in the way of our quest for self-righteousness, our need to place ourselves first. Now at the prison, I probably have one of the most diverse congregations you can imagine. Okay, well, diverse if we're talking about race and ethnicity. Gender-wise, as you might expect, we're rather male-heavy at the men's prison. But it's not just racial and ethnic diversity that we have in abundance. We have so many different denominational and non-denominational backgrounds represented by our guys. On a side note, I am increasingly of the opinion that non-denominational, which is also a hard word to say, is often another way of saying conservative Baptist. But maybe that's just me. Anyway, on the one hand, all that theological diversity makes for incredibly powerful worship experiences. There is a rawness and a realness to being there that I have personally become quite hooked on. And on the other hand, all that theological diversity means that sometimes we have the stupidest disagreements about the right way to worship. About what counts as worship. Last year, maybe six months ago or so, we had this blow up in the worship team. The team is this group of inmates who practices weekly and they help lead music for all the Christian services at the prison. They are, and this isn't just my bias speaking, they are really, really talented, both as musicians and as leaders, and also, honestly, as men of faith. Well, last year, an older black man in the group approached the others about adding a new song to their repertoire, a piece called Hold On, Change is Coming, by a group called The Sounds of Blackness. Now, I'll be honest with you, I did not know this song at the time, but we listened to a CD, and it's catchy, and its message of hope is fine. And truly, if I'm honest with you, it doesn't directly reference or name God, but it's been used in traditionally black churches for about 25 years, ever since it was first released. In fact, and this is because of the fallout from something else I'm about to tell you, I have personally watched, without exaggeration, dozens of YouTube videos of various gospel choirs singing this song during worship, several hours worth, and by now I feel 100% comfortable using it, especially in our context. It is a worship song. So the group worked on it, and they sounded great. And it was really spiritual, and it was really moving, and a few other black members of the group already knew the song from their home congregations, and a couple of them tweaked a few sections to make it more explicitly Christian. So, one Saturday night, as we gathered together for worship, the inmates, our volunteers, and some visitors from a local congregation, as we gathered together, the worship team after opening up with a couple of their greatest hits, they got ready to start this new song. But just as they began, two of our musicians, both of whom are white, flipped out. 
Actually, flipped out might not be the right way to say it because they didn't actually say anything at first. Despite working on the song in practice without complaint, they decided to protest it during worship. This is not worship, they said, and they refused to play the song. They just stood there by their instruments with their hands dropped to their sides and these looks of defiance on their faces. Well, it was awkward. And it was unprofessional. And it was incredibly disrespectful, not only to their black brothers in the band, but to every other person in the chapel that night. And frankly, it was disrespectful to God. Now note that they didn't say, I don't find this worshipful. Or this isn't worshipful to me. They made it an absolute. A complete, irrevocable absolute. This isn't worship. Black and white. No pun intended. At the root of their complaint were two things. One was simple racism. That's why I bothered to mention all the ethnicities in this. Shortly afterward, they submitted a complaint to the prison administration that, quote, there are too many blacks in chapel leadership positions. But the second piece to their complaint isn't really all that different from what the Galatians had done to frustrate Paul. It was all about them. It was all about their action. It was all about their experiences. It was all about their stories. The song couldn't actually be good enough for worship because it wasn't good enough for them. The song couldn't help people connect to God because it didn't help them connect to God. Because that's the natural result of what happens when we make our relationship with God all about the law and all about our ability to fulfill the law. The relationship becomes all about us. Now, you may recall Jesus had a thing or two to say about our relationships, both with God and with each other. From Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Two simple commandments. Two thousand years of human beings struggling to obey them. Galatians 3 ends with the famous line, There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful description of our new identity in Christ. It is absolutely true. But in our current climate, with massive protests and opposition to the racism that dehumanizes people of color on a daily basis. In our current climate, something about his words needs to be clarified. Paul was not doing the first century equivalent of, I don't see color, I just see people. He wasn't magically wiping away those differences or ignoring them. He wasn't claiming that Christ's resurrection had done so either. The differences remained. Those lived experiences remained. Instead, 
He was reminding the Galatians of where their core identity lay in the face of those differences in Christ. And by extension, and this is the really important implication from that bit, by extension, if our core identity lies in Christ and our neighbor's core identity lies in Christ, then we sure as anything had better be treating them like that's the case. And we need to be speaking up and speaking out when others don't. I want to thank you for listening to this week's We'll Preach for Food podcast. And a special thanks to Pastor Doug for inviting me to come and share this time with you. I really enjoyed preparing for it, and I hope hearing it sparked some thoughts of your own. If nothing else, by requesting a transcript for the website, Doug has managed to get me to write my first sermon with a full manuscript since 2006. So well played, good sir. Again, for more information about Living Stones, the prison ministry I am blessed to lead, you can check out livingstonesprisoncongregation.com. You can also view video from one of our pre-pandemic worship services at vimeo.com slash showcase slash 67470086. Eventually, we'll put that on the website so it's a lot easier to find. And you can learn more about the model that we use, Prison Congregations of America, at prisoncongregations.org. For more information about Faith Lutheran Church, Pastor Doug's congregation, you can go to their website at faithshelton.org. You can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or any other way you listen to podcasts. And finally, my thanks to Chaz for his production work to make this recording possible. And then I'd like to leave you with these words. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you with grace and mercy. And may God look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>